0: Hello, welcome back. This is Cassandra, and I'm Carrie, and this is Too, Too Good, Good to, to Be, be true. true. And you know, unfortunately, we're a little under the weather, but we're we're still trucking along. <laughs> and this week we're doing Charles Ponzi. We're doing Charles Ponzi. I mean, we're not not in that <laughs> respect, but you know, we're talking about Charles Ponzi, the, you know, person who basically started the whole idea of the Ponzi scheme, and it's named after him. But as we'll find out, I I don't know why, kind of, but okay. Anyway. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of... You'll see. Okay. So he is thought to have been born Carlo Ponzi in Lugo Emilia Romana, which is like A little, like, place. They have, like, I don't know what they're called, like, I don't know, like, nationalities or something. I don't know what they're called. Little things in Italy. But he would go around saying he's from Parma, because it's probably, I guess, just easier to say, hey, I'm from Parma, Italy. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's just easier. Um, He was born on March 3rd, 1882, And his family was, like, I guess, well-to-do, but they had fallen on hard times. So he felt like he needed to do something to, like, I don't know, I guess, make things better for them. He worked as a postal worker at first, then attended the University of Rome La Sapienza, which I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about, like, universities in other countries. I would guess they just run the same as universities here. You know what I mean? I guess. Four-year degree. Four years. But at the end of it all, he didn't come out of it with a degree. And he had wasted all his money trying to keep up with all these other rich friends of his... At the university. Well,
1: why didn't he come out with a degree? Did he just not do his schoolwork? I guess work? he
0: just wasn't doing the work. Well, what the hell, dude? You can't just go to school and piss around. And- he was, I mean, basically, I guess, just partying, pissing around. He was spending his money at bars, cafes, the opera. That's the thing that kills me about. Um, Living it up. People I guess. that do
1: stuff like that. I get going to college for the college experience and all that, but you will still have to put the work in and finish your degree because of what's the point of paying all that damn money or whatever to go to school? I mean, maybe back then they didn't pay or maybe in Italy they don't pay at all. I don't know. I, don't know. I know what it is here, but either way, I'm not going to go enroll in a bunch of classes. And then just fail all of the classes and waste all of my time.
0: Right. You can party without going to college. But instantly when I read it, it made me think of our local university. Mm. Because I feel like that school is known as As a party party school. school. Yeah, but they did
1: away with all the... um fraternities and sororities now that's
0: true that's true so it's I, probably I, not a, it's probably not as bad oh no now. i'm sure it's
1: just as bad but i was just wondering how that was all going down at this point in time because that was a big draw to that school and now that they just don't have them anymore i don't even know what they're doing oh yeah i don't houses know houses and everything
0: anyway off i tangent. have no idea i just thought it was funny because it just made me think about that. was that eleanor <laughs> um guys i have a new kitten
1: well she's not really new but She's new to the world. She's only three months old and she is approaching negative brain cell territory. So I'm sorry if she makes some noise.
0: And there were a lot of Italian boys coming back from America, rich or with more wealth than they had before they left. So his family thought, hey, like maybe that would be a good thing for him to do after he wasted four years at college. And so then he decided to go to America to reclaim their former status that they had, you know, prior. When he arrived in the U.S., that was in November 15th of 1903, and he went to Boston. He traveled there on the SS Vancouver and once again wasted all his money so when he arrived there, this is of his own accord. He says that he arrived there with two dollars and fifty cents in his pocket. What the hell did he waste his money on on a ship? Gambling. Jesus Christ, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like he himself said, he arrived there with two two dollars and fifty cents in his pocket, which today is equal to like seventy five bucks. <laughs> saying he had gambled away his life savings during his trip, because clearly, this man has a problem. He learned English and did odd jobs, and he landed a job as a dishwasher in a restaurant, where he slept on the floor, (laughs) worked his way up to being a waiter, but soon after got fired. Want to guess why?
1: (laughs) Um... I don't know I don't know that much about him but did he get caught doing some kind of fucking gambling or something in the restaurant? Theft
0: and shortchanging customers. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like there's a repeating pattern of I think, like I think you're on her tail. I'm my oh sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, She He's trying to get away and you're just spinning him down. Didn't even <laughs>
1: Oh, <laughs> this this is the worst. I'm also moving, y'all, so my life is we got a up, lot going on. mess right now.
0: He then moved to Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And he worked at a bank. Oh, that's the best place for somebody who steals and gambles. Honestly, I feel like the... All he does is things that, like, he wants to do the things that are, like, easy. Like, easy ways to make money. That's how people fall into scamming. You know what I mean? Like, they just want the easy way. They want to have the easy, quick money mm-hmm. that they don't have to actually do work for. I mean, yeah, that is a common theme. Like, yeah. this greed and laziness. Yeah, exactly. He started working at this bank for this guy, Luigi or Louie. So, I guess the guy went by, like, both. Zarossi And this bank serviced the immigrants that were coming from Italy to America. To the city of where they were. Wait, the bank? So was that the whole purpose of the bank? or No, just like...
1: It's just something that just kind of happened.
0: I guess that's just what this guy was doing to just help these people out because I guess he was also... At one point, an immigrant, this Luigi guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he mainly serviced Italian immigrants coming to like, the United States and Canada, whatever, and for better lives or whatever. And Ponzi started working for him, and he got the job because basically he was charismatic, likable, all the things that everybody always says about all these people. He spoke three different languages. He could speak... English, Italian, and French,
1: Hmm.
0: which also helped him in, you know, that whole respect. And working at this bank is where he first saw the idea of how you could make money using, like, a Ponzi scheme, as we call it now today. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So basically, he learned it from this guy, but yet it's named after him. Hmm. So that's why I think it's kind of a little weird, because he basically learned it from this guy.
1: Was that guy really kind of going crazy with it, though? Or, I mean, what was that guy doing exactly that was a Ponzi scheme? uh,
0: We'll we'll talk about it. So, working at the bank was where he first saw the idea of this scheme. Sarasi was offering 6% interest on deposits into the bank, which was... Unheard of! It's still obviously yeah, six percent is pretty high. It's literally double what others were offering at the time. And Ponzi quickly worked his way up to being the bank manager due to his, you know, personality and how he was, and you know, just the. I guess the business was booming also. And realized the bank was in trouble because he was getting more into the business of the bank. Mm -hmm. So this guy had done some sort of loans that were not good. They were defaulting, whatever. And also just the scheme that he was trying to pull with these people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because obviously you're not going to get a 6% return. Right. And how are you going to pay out on that? The bank failed eventually and Sarasi fled to Mexico with the better part of what was left of the money from the bank. Then, obviously, Ponzi is left there to clean it up. To clean it up. He's got no job. He literally moved in with this guy's family, because the guy left his fa- family there, too. He just Jesus. peaced out. Yeah, wow, okay. <laughs> He Okay, peaced out. Left his family there. So, Ponzi moves in with this Sarasi guy's family, and he's like, trying to take care of them because this guy abandoned them what the fuck man <laughs> yeah it's kind of a messed up situation i mean
1: i get running one time to get tough i mean i wouldn't personally do it but i understand the right. logic behind it but also leaving your family
0: what yeah <laughs> and so basically because he has no money he has no way to provide for this family also that didn't go over very well And I don't know how this ended up happening, but it says he ended up going to the address of a former bank customer called Canadian Warehousing and then realized that they obviously had busted as well. There was no one there. There was just, they had just up and left and just left stuff there and he found checks that were not written out, so then he forged a check to himself from this other company for an exact amount, too, which is very weird, because I think to myself, why that exact amount? But, like... How much was it? $423.58.
1: Maybe he was just trying to get exactly what he needed
0: (laughs) to take care
1: of things, and he was like, you know what, I'm gonna steal, but... I'm not going to be too greedy with it. I'm only going to take exactly what I
0: need. (laughs) Exactly what I need. Yeah, he forged the signature of the director of that company, whose name was Damien Fournier. And when questioned by the police, he immediately just pled guilty. Because he was like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. (laughs) You know? it was me. He knew he had done it. He ended up spending three years in a penitentiary there st vincent de paul federal penitentiary and while he was in jail there he sent a letter to his mom stating he was working as a special assistant to the warden rather than saying he was actually in jail himself all right didn't want to admit that to his mother
1: i mean you could just not tell her anything you could just make up some other lie. you could be like hell yeah i work for a bank i'm running the whole show i'm I'm
0: running the whole damn thing yeah kind of ridiculous i know He was released in 1911 and returned to the U.S. where he started smuggling illegal immigrants into the country and spent another two years in an Atlanta prison.
1: Dude is not learning. Yeah, he's just not learning. He just
0: really doesn't learn at all. Sir,
1: please just go work at a pharmacy or something. Go do something legit.
0: Yeah, he has a problem. Then when he was in the United States, he ended up returning to Boston after he got out of jail, obviously, because he was in jail again. Briefly worked as a nurse at a mining camp. Met his wife. Well, future wife, because he wasn't married to her then. Rose Mieko. Wait. wait. <laughs> he just randomly worked as a nurse?
1: Yeah. He I just I a, love the early 1900s. They're like, you I know what? Like, how do you I'm, even I'm a get doctor a,
0: now. How do you even get a job doing that? You just decide. You know um I'm a
1: train conductor today. Thank you. Yeah,
0: I was thinking job. about that. I was like, "Well, it's in the early 1900s. I guess you could just do whatever you wanted. You didn't have to have a degree, <laughs> you know." Kind of weird, but and she was a stenographer, which is like basically writing in shorthand. Mm-hmm.
1: They're like a kind of like a data entry like situation thing. But yeah. They handwrite, but yeah. You write um, it, so it's yeah. all like, but um my the women in my family used to do stuff like that. I oh, remember really? coming across um shorthand books up, in the, uh, up in the attic in of our attic? old house thats yeah I'd cool. come across like a shorthand like training manual for how to do the little do' and
0: make different words and letters and stuff in shorthand. That's kind of cool and they married in nineteen eighteen. He worked many odd jobs, including trying to sell advertising to big businesses but he couldn't gather any interest in that so that failed. He also worked at his wife's family's fruit company but that also failed. He just he didn't really do anything right that he was set himself out to do. You know no, I mean? and like
1: some of it it seems like he was trying to be legit in some ways, I mean to work for the fruit thing. I can't see that being too sketchy, but yeah. obviously no matter what this man is going to do, it's just not panning
0: out for him. Yeah, it kind of stinks for him, because, you know, he just can't really get a grip of anything. This is where it kind of starts his whole idea on what we now know as the Ponzi scheme. So in the summer of 1919, while attempting to sell his stupid business ideas, I literally wrote it like that in my notes. <laughs> This motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> to contacts in Europe, out of a small office in Boston, he got a letter back from a company in Spain asking about his advertising catalog that he was trying to, you know, advertise people and he was trying to sell that or whatever. And in the envelope was an international reply coupon or IRC. Okay. Which was like a big thing back then. Essentially, these postal reply coupons allowed a person in one country to pay for the postage of a reply from the other person in a different country. These IRCs were priced at the cost of postage in the country they were purchased in, but then could be exchanged for postage stamps or whatever to cover the cost of postage in whatever country the other person was in. Sounds really complicated, and it does sound complicated. So, why he would get himself involved in something like that, I don't know. Because it is, (laughs) (laughs) and so essentially, a profit could be made if these values were different in your favor. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, and I have no idea what conversion was back then. Yeah, I don't know, but. As it turns out, the price was substantially lower in Italy, so they could be bought cheaply there and exchanged in the U.S. for stamps of higher value. Then he would just sell them to someone else. Interesting. Yeah, it, it the whole thing is kind of ridiculous, honestly. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work, it, and he could probably just go work at a grocery he store. He could go do something so much easily, or I don't know what I'm
1: saying. <laughs> know what i'm saying easier <laughs> i literally we're, we're done we're brain dead it's i don't fine. know what
0: i'm saying i, I have i don't know am covid brain fog. and i'm
1: distracted by the cat and the damn lamb chop toy <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is gonna be a fun episode y'all he claimed the net profit on these transactions was in excess of 400 percent after expenses and exchange rates. Which is kind of impossible. Yeah, that's kind of a lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> oh
1: my god. Let's just call it. We're done. We're done. <laughs>
0: so, essentially, this was a form of arbitrage, which is profiting by buying an asset at a lower price in one market and immediately selling it in a market where the price is higher. This was and is legal
1: yeah, well, in theory, it makes sense, and it sounds good, but the odds so of you that, being
0: able to do it consistently enough to really... That part of it is legal. So, <laughs> it just it just baffles me, though, that he just thought this was a good idea, because it just seems like a lot of work. Ponzi then set out to reap the benefits of what he saw as a weakness in the system by selling these IRCs for his own personal gain truly he he it's funny because i feel like in some of the things that i read he was saying like he just wanted to help people out but like bullshit because as we'll see he ends up being pretty wealthy and buying himself fancy things. sounds more like he wants to
1: help himself out and he is just latching on to whatever stupid idea he can find that's going to make him a quick that's going to make
0: him a quick buck He tried to borrow money from several banks, including Hanover Trust Company, so he could set his scheme into motion on a much larger scale. (laughs) But he was turned down by all of these banks. Mm -hmm. So he decided to set up a stock company in order to raise the money. He started with several friends saying he would double their investment in 90 days. Then he later upped that to 50% interest in 45 days or only three months in order to double your investments. So he went from saying he could double your investments in 90 days to being able to double it in 45 days. That's like a month and a half. It's kind of insane. This is when he started his company, Securities Exchange Company. In January 1920, and he did just that in order to promote the scheme that he thought of in his little brain. And one in one month, in just one month, he had 18 investors that totaled $1,800, so that was $100 each per investor. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot for back then. And for and when you, I, That's literally what I was telling Jay, because I was talking about it before we came to film this. I was like, it, when you think about all... I'm going to go through all the money of this. Mm-hmm. When you think about it at that time, that's insane. Yeah. You just wait. So, like I said, 18 investors, $100 each, which was $1,800. He paid these initial investors back quickly with money from newer investors. Okay. Which we know now is what we call a Ponzi scheme. Right. (laughs) You pay your investors by getting new investors, and you just use their money to pay the old people, and, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. Fun times. He set up a larger office, hired agents to work for him, paid them on commission, like... Commission for what? Substantial commissions for bringing in new investors. Oh. (laughs)
1: Sounding a little pyramid schemey. Yeah.
0: So, this all happened so quickly, it's kind of insane. From February to March of 1920, he went from 5,000... To twenty five thousand total investments, dang. Which now, well, in twenty twenty one, yeah, we're not in twenty twenty one anymore. But yeah, so it's even more now. With the cost of inflation, seventy thousand to three hundred forty thousand. Wow. Like I said, he began seeking out new investors in New England and New Jersey. He had these impressive rates that he was just. Flashing around to people. Mm-hmm. They just thought, hey, let's jump on board, you know? And it just substantially went just quicker and quicker. And it's over such a short amount of time that it literally blows my mind. By May of 1920, he had 420,000, which is equal to 5.7 million? million. Wow. In 2021. So that that definitely did take off quickly. It just keeps going. It's kind of insane. Month to month, by June, okay, so like that was May. Mm-hmm. This is June, two point five million, which holy is holy shit, which is equal to thirty four million in twenty twenty one. And by July, was bringing in millions per week. Wow. By the end of July, he was making almost a million a day
1: oh my god okay now I'm like really now, I want to know how he ends up getting caught Literally, that's ridiculous
0: when you sit down and think about that that is an insane amount of money especially for then. for 1920 <laughs> you know like in 1920 that's a lot of money mm-hmm. like a shit ton of money I my mind was blown honestly I just honestly can't I can't wrap my head around it He started with just the other working-class Italian immigrants, just like him, you know, that had came there. But he kind of worked to the point where he was not discriminating whatsoever, you know what I mean? Con's a con. People... He would get money from people who only gave him a couple dollars, like people who were just regular, everyday Joes, you know, Mm -hmm. to people who... Wealthier, high net worth or whatever, like people who, who worked as bankers or whatever else they did who would invest up to $10,000 at a time. Wow. So, like I said, it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around because it's kind of insane. The funny thing is, once this starts taking off, and it took off quickly, as we see, it was like in a six-month span, it went from this to this. Yeah. You know, it was like kind we of insane. a 60 and yeah, two seconds it' as quickly as it builds up, it so quickly falls also. It's kind of oh, just a mess. The funny part of it is he was he opened a bank account at the bank that he tried to get one of the banks he tried to get a loan from, which is Hanover Trust Bank of Boston, which was like a small local little. Piddly bank, like the bank I work at. <laughs> <laughs> and he bought controlling interest in the bank through himself as well as several of his friends. Okay. So, therefore, he essentially control has the bank. Control of the bank. That's think what about you that, want. Y'all. That's what you want. Just a couple guys
1: <laughs> just, controlling just, the whole bank. Just think about that, y'all. Okay. I'm picturing like. <laughs> Big Daddy just being in control of... (laughs) Big Daddy is what we call the vice president of Cassandra's Bank.
0: (laughs) It's just not a good situation all around, because now he's got his hands into the bank, so he could kind of use the bank as his personal... You know, as he sees fit, you know? Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know he wasn't making any actual investments to gain the returns Mm -hmm. for these people. He wasn't doing anything with their money. No legitimate profits were being made and he he was unable to figure out a way to actually change the IRCs into cash. Okay. So it's like, why did you (laughs) no brain, obviously. Why did you even get yourself involved in this shit? Do you know what I mean? I just don't get it. Also, the logistics of this were proving to be far more complicated than he realized, where he was all like, oh, I can make 400% profit. (laughs) Hell no. Hell to the no.
1: I mean, the odds of anybody being able to make 400% profit on just about anything... Excuse me.
0: Please So I didn't do the maths, but someone did a little maths. And, okay, think about the first 18 people that he had. Okay. The first 18 people that he had, what they invested would be equal to 53,000 of those postal coupons mm-hmm. to actually realize the profits that he said he could fulfill. Now, up that to when he had 15,000 people or customers, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> they related this to needing a titanic sized ship, or multiple, in order to literally just ship the amount of postal coupons you would need from (laughs) the U.S. to the U.S. from Europe. Mm -hmm. Think about that. I don't think he really thought real hard about this,
1: you know what I mean? I'm sure he didn't. He didn't seem like uh, too deep of a thinker.
0: Meanwhile, he's living his best life. He bought a mansion in Lexington, Massachusetts. He's got the finest of cars for that time. Bought first-class tickets for him and his wife to have, like, this, like, late, you know, honeymoon type thing. But then he ended up trading it in for something else to get his mother to the United States from Italy. Oh, okay. But, like, it was still, like, first-class, like, one-way trip for her to come, mm-hmm. you know? Kind of crazy. And literally, what another thing that blew my mind was he had a heated pool and air conditioning oh. in this mansion in oh. 1920. Yeah, that's odd. Air conditioning. I was like, how is that even possible? That's wild,
1: Ed, to even have air conditioning in that time and in in Massachusetts of all places. I mean, what do you need air weird. conditioning for a month know. and a half out of the year?
0: Kind of weird, I don't know. At this time he also bought into a macaroni company and a wine company in hopes <laughs> in the hopes of using the, you know, money that he would hopefully gain from investing in those to pay back people from his scheme.
1: He just keeps jumping into
0: more and more shit, thinking that it's all going to work out for him. It's not. This is, like, about this time is, like, when suspicion starts really, you know, ramping up on him. Because the company grew so fast, obviously. And it's just, like, people were just like, how do you get such high... Returns in such a short amount of time, obviously, just like Bernie Madoff, which is like later in the future, you know, but whatever. A Boston financial writer was the first person to really quite like put it out there Mm -hmm. and be like, "Okay,
1: the math ain't math. The
0: math ain't math. And exactly. How would he get such high returns in such a short period of time? Ponzi then sued this man. Oh, sued him. For libel, and won five hundred thousand dollars in damages.
1: Wow, it's really hard to prove libel and slander and defamation.
0: I guess from what I gather at this time, burden of proof was placed on the writer.
1: Oh, yeah. At it's this it's time, it's, it's, different the opposite now. Now. it's different now. It's
0: different now. It's on the defendant. But at that time, it would have been on the that guy to prove or whatever the plaintiff. I guess. Yeah, that's. It's kind of insane when you think about it. So they issued the, you know, damages to Ponzi, which is kind of crazy. And you said 500000 Yes, I said. Wow. <laughs> crazy, I know. And then there was Joseph Daniel, who was a furniture salesman, who had given Ponzi furniture that he could not afford... And now that he saw that Ponzi was making all this money, he decided to go after him for the money mm-hmm. because he was never paid. I mean,
1: if you're not paid, of course you.
0: But lost his lawsuit money. was unsuccessful, which is kind of also crazy. Yeah, because everything's kind of backwards. Yeah, everything. It seems like everything because is kind of like backwards. These then. days, if
1: you sue somebody for yeah. like slander or libel or whatever, it's like it's on you to prove that they are lying. And not yeah. the other way around and now if somebody says they didn't pay me for services or a product all you would really have to do is show the agreement and the fact that I don't have the money and
0: yeah, he uh, never these would be so me. easily resolved yeah.
1: these days
0: after these two incidents though some investors were you know obviously shook a little bit and they were like wanting to pull out their money and he paid them and then that stopped in And by July 24th of 1920, the Boston Post printed an article boasting Ponzi's company and saying it did seem legit, and people were indeed getting that 50% return in 45 days. And adding to his luck, there was an ad for one of the local banks underneath saying that they only offered 5% return. Ugh. So the two, the combination of two things, those two things kind of worked in his favor. And the very next day, he had a bunch of people on his doorsteps, waiting with money in hand, you know, to just give it all to him. Just kind of insane.
1: I'm picturing that scene in like uh It's a Wonderful Life, where they're all at the bank,
0: like giving their money. <laughs> yeah, I literally was seeing that in my head too. But despite this, the acting publisher, Richard Grozier, and the editor, Eddie Dunn, were suspicious enough to hire investigative reporters to look into Ponzi. So these people worked at the Post. Mm -hmm. And come to find out, Ponzi was also being investigated by Massachusetts authorities at the same time, like simultaneously. He managed to divert them from looking into his actual books by saying he would not accept any more money while under investigation, which obviously was only a temporary solution. Right. Like, that's only going to hold people off for so long. And this is kind of when everything, it just, it, just all, it all unravels at this point. It just gets worse and worse from here on out. July 26th, the Post started an article series, like a series of articles, mm-hmm. asking questions about the operation at Securities Exchange Company. They hired this man, Clarence Barron, a financial analyst for Dow Jones, to look into the company. These are some things that he noted. He said, Ponzi himself was not invested. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a bit of a red flag. That's a bit of a... If you, were, a bit a, if you believe in your own product, you're going to be invested in it.
0: Yeah. He found out that there was only 100... Oh, that 160 million coupons would need to be in circulation, but only 27,000 actually were oh. in circulation at the time. That's a big discrepancy. Yeah. And the United States Postal Service people said that they were not being bought in that large of quantities in the U.S. or overseas, for that matter. Mm -hmm. The money that he would have been spending would have outweighed the profits. Like, the money he would have needed to spend in order to ship these back and forth and all the other bullshit he would have had to do would have way exceeded the exceeded profit that he would, have, that he would have been making off of these because these were like piddling amounts of coupons do you know what i mean right kind of ridiculous it's like why did he i don't know listen i don't know why anyone does anything greed i guess but yep
1: like i said greed and laziness they want the quick buck
0: the quick buck like I, like we were saying before the post article caused a panic once again and Ponzi had to pay out $2 million in three days. Which is like, when you think about that, that's a lot of money. Yeah, but I mean, how much was he sitting on at that point in time? Well, I forgot to mention this before, but when he opened the bank account, he had $3 million. Now, at this point, I don't... I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It's probably around that same amount, but I don't know. Um... It's, it just blows my mind, literally, every time that I read this stuff. He went outside. It just, It's so crazy. When he paid out this money, he also went outside and was like passing out coffee and donuts to calm people down. What the fuck? I, just, I literally, I, I can't. I'm make sorry, this shit I ripped up. you off. Here's coffee and a donut. He was passing out coffee and donuts to calm people down and keep them invested like to kind of sway them like oh look at me i'm such a nice guy (laughs) coffee and donuts i don't know it just it's funny u.s attorney for the district of massachusetts daniel gallagher gets this edwin pride guy to audit the books for security exchange company at this point it just Things just keep happening, okay? It's not looking good for him at this point. And this guy says his idea of bookkeeping was index cards with investors' names on them, so it was proving to be a difficult task. Like a long, difficult, painstaking task. Right. Also, William McMasters is hired as a publicist by Ponzi. But this guy is suspicious of his activities and described him as a financial idiot who did not know how to add. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> which, I, which is just too funny, honestly. financial idiot. <laughs> too funny. Too funny. I just can't. McMaster finds incriminating documents and decides to sell his story to the Post for 5000 Because being a publicist, he actually used to work for them. <laughs> hmm so he's got, like, an in. So once he finds this out, he's like, well, shit. we make some money. I'm gonna make myself some money. So, once he finds these incriminating documents and sells his story of the post for 5000 it was printed on August 2nd, 1920. It's just, it all just goes downhill from there. Like I said, it just keeps getting worse and worse. Said, and in this article, he said that Ponzi claimed seven million dollars in funds, but with actually two million in debt at this point. Wow. And with interest factored in, it would actually be more like 4.5 million in debt. Like in not good. In the hole. In the hole. This cost him to pay out more people in one day's time. He had to pay out more people because of this other article. And I'm just like, how is he even keeping up with this? Well, guess what? He's not. I was so. going to say, he's, he probably isn't. <laughs> he doesn't seem
1: like he's great at record keeping, so.
0: Yeah. Bank Commissioner Joseph Allen worried was worried about the banking system crashing due to large withdrawals from payouts. And so he's starting to do his own little thing. All these people are doing their own little things, checking out things, you know. And he found out that Ponzi had taken out several loans that accumulated up to $250,000 from, from Hanover Trust because he basically could do whatever he wanted because he owned... Like, he was basically part of the bank now, uh-huh. you know? So he took out these loans through the bank, and it's just a mess because he basically controlled the bank... So, this guy's like, okay, we gotta watch him closely. So, he has bank examiners watching, like, everything that's going down at this point. And August 9th, bank examiners report that so many investors cash their checks that Ponzi's main account is most definitely overdrawn. Uh Uh-huh. They ordered the bank not to cash any more checks. Okay. It's just crazy, honestly. Then, forced bankruptcies upon investors and Massachusetts Attorney General, this guy's last name is also Allen, so it's super confusing, Jay Weston Allen released a statement saying there was nothing to support Ponzi's dealings in the postal coupons on such a large scale, obviously, and invited what I would call victims at this point or they, but they call them note holders uh-huh. to furnish their names and addresses for the investigation. Shit's going down. Shit is just imploding, honestly. That very same day, Pride's audit concludes that Ponzi is at least $7 million in debt. Oh, Jesus. Because he finally got that done. Took him forever, you know. That went quickly. August 11th, the Post released a front-page story about Ponzi's criminal past and his other convictions, his jail time, Sarasi's scandal of what happened in Quebec, etc., etc. You know, Uh all the bad things. And Bank Commissioner Allen seizes Hanover Trust. Ooh. August 12th, Ponzi had, like, a CD as we call it, at the bank's certificate, A certificate of, deposit. of deposit that he had invested money in at that bank. And they used that to pay off the money that was owed to the bank for the overdraft. Okay, And I think it left him with still like $1 million, I think is what it said. But honestly, <laughs> he's like done for at this point. Uh-huh. Ponzi also... Surrendered to authorities that morning. So this is all happening very quickly. Like it's all just like I said, it. when I'm when I was like reading it, I was like, this is just like just rapid. <laughs> as, as rapidly as it started, it just began to unravel. He was charged with mail fraud and released on twenty five thousand dollars bail, but immediately rearrested on state <laughs> charges of larceny. All right. He then posted a 10000 bond for that. But after that post was released, um, after the post, as in the newspaper, uh-huh. released their information on the audit, they decided, no, they're not having any of that. They were going to seek, they would seek additional charges or seek a higher bail enough to ensure that he wasn't going anywhere. Because uh-huh. they were like, not playing around at this point. They're like, we can't risk him just up and leaving. Right. So, from there, Ponzi is charged with 86 counts of mail fraud and faced life imprisonment. Damn. Yeah. At the urging of his wife, Ponzi pled guilty on November 1st, 1920 to a single count. Judge Clarence Hale said, here was the man with all the duties of seeking large money. He concocted a scheme which, on his counsel's admission, did defraud men and women. It will not do to have the world understand that such a scheme as that can be carried out without receiving substantial punishment. And so he was sentenced to five years in federal prison. Oh,
1: so five, that's all he got? That was five. I mean, that's not bad for... There's more. Oh, okay. He was
0: released after three and a half years and was almost immediately indicted on twenty-two state ch- charges of larceny, which apparently came to a surprise to, as a surprise to him because he thought that he had some sort of deal there that they were going to drop the state charges. Oh. Because he thought that that fell after double jeopardy, but it doesn't. Because he thought like I can't be tried for the same thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In, like, multiple types of ways or whatever. So, in October of 1922, he was tried on the first 10 larceny, larcen-y counts. I can't even talk right <laughs> now. Larceny. <Lar-shun-y. laughs> larceny. counts. But, since he doesn't have money, he, like, literally serves as his own attorney, because, <laughs> you know. This guy's a
1: fucking idiot.
0: He's a fucking mess. <laughs> it's weird, because he actually, like because he's such a persuasive speaker and stuff, he actually was acquitted by the jury on what? all of those charges, the ten, the first ten. I want to live in this guy's world. <laughs> Clearly he's, like, good at speaking to people. I don't know, he's just master manipulator like all these people, you know what I mean? He was tried a second time on five of the remaining charges, and the jury was deadlocked. Then... A third trial happens, and he was sentenced to an additional seven to nine years in prison. Okay. (laughs) Who knew? At least something happened, finally. Yeah. How how many of those years did he actually serve, but, you know? We're going to keep going here. It just keeps going. There were efforts to have him deported as an undesirable alien in 1922, (laughs) but... That doesn't happen. In September 1925, he was released on bail as he appealed the state conviction. Mm -hmm. And he fled. (laughs) Because, you know, as one does. Why not? To Jacksonville, Florida. What? What? Yeah.
1: If You're going to flee. Shouldn't you leave the country altogether?
0: And he tries to do a whole nother bullshit scam type thing. Where he offered investors tiny tracts of land and promised 200% return in 60 days.
1: <laughs> what, what is up with him in these He's returns a in this, idiot. and giving specific time frames? I don't know. He's an idiot.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It was a scam, obviously, that sold swampland. <laughs> so people can't live on swampland. <laughs> he was indicted. And found guilty on the security charges, and the judge sentenced him to a year in Florida State Prison. He appealed this conviction and was freed after posting a $1,500 bond. It's like he just just keeps going, you know? Honestly, that's the one... You know, I'm not a big fan
1: of the major news outlets and the national news blowing Mm -hmm. everything up and you know, all the fear mongering and everything that happens with like every little thing that goes on, but that's one benefit of it. I feel like they could have benefited from that back then because I'm sure the people in Florida had no idea what was happening in Massachusetts at the time. Oh, way up there. Yeah.
0: They wouldn't have known. If
1: you know, there was good old CNN to let you know back then they could have avoided buying the swamp from him. Very
0: true. He then traveled to Tampa, where he shaved his head, grew a mustache, and tried to flee the country as a crewman on a merchant ship bound for Italy. All right. Yeah. (laughs) However, his identity is revealed to a shipmate, and word spread, you know, as it would. And they followed the ship to its last American port in, I think it says New Orleans, and (laughs) he, he gets arrested once again he just you know he continues to keep getting arrested and he kind of plead for deport deportation because i guess he would rather that than be arrested again but no he was sent back to massachusetts (laughs) to serve out his prison term and so he served seven more years in prison in the meantime i wonder what he was telling his mom then think about that. I'm the warden. (laughs) You know what? I worked my way up and now I'm the warden. (laughs) I don't know. It's it's just so crazy. He was then released in 1934. With the release came an immediate order to have him deported to Italy. So he finally finally gets what he wants. You know? However, on July 13th, the massachusetts governor joseph eli turned the appeal down so oh well his (laughs) character i just like how this stuff is just worded they talk about how he he basically he's getting old they say his charm charisma 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 whatever is fading whatever so people are like eh (laughs) It's getting old and ugly. <laughs> nope. I'm not listening. I'm not having this shit anymore. It's this old creepy
1: guy. I don't want it. No. No thank you.
0: On October 7th, he was officially deported. His wife stayed in the U.S. and they divorced in 1937. She had not wanted to leave Boston and he was in obviously no way to su- He was not in a position to support her. So, <laughs> Really? He couldn't mail her a bunch of cute Kim- <laughs> I mean, yeah he couldn't mail her a bunch of coupons oh my god so then once in italy he's jumping from fucking scheme to game trying to do some fucking shady shit again he eventually got a job in brazil oh I
1: well, that's know. very different from yeah i italy. don't know
0: he's a weirdo It says that it was something for, like, an airline, but it's not, like, specific about it, okay? It's, it's like, you don't even know. Okay. And then, I guess, like, during World War II, the airline's operation was shut down. So, he then was kind of, like, out of job, didn't have anything to do. So, go for him, you know? <laughs> and in conclusion, basically... He just spent the last years of his lives in his life in poverty, working occasionally as a translator, which he I didn't mention it, but he had done it on and off through his whole whatever he worked Maybe as a translator. He should
1: have just stuck he, with
0: that. He should have just stuck with that, truly. He worked as a translator on and off for people, like here and there. But like obviously he had big dreams and he thought he was gonna do some bullshit with these cubots. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck he was thinking, truly. <laughs> His health deteriorated, and in 1941, a heart attack left him weakened. His eyesight began to fail, and by 1948, he was almost completely blind. Then, a brain hemorrhage paralyzed his left leg and arm, and he died in a hospital in Rio de Janeiro Mm. on January 18, 1949. All right. Well... That was a very eventful life. He lived... (laughs) I mean, honestly. Kind of crazy when you think about it. Honestly, it it was. I don't know. It was crazy. And this motherfucker still (laughs) thinks... Like, he literally... I guess, like, he had like, a friend that, like, he talked to. And... This reporter said that, like, he, he felt like it was worth it because... He said the show that he gave people and the thing that he pulled over and you know put on or whatever it was like worth so much just to see it go down and I'm like really (laughs) but really I'm gonna have to disagree on that like he thinks that he's hot shit still you know right before right till we all
1: need that the bitter edge you you know. We're just gonna think each other is hot shit until the day we die. (laughs) You know? We're gonna be old ladies running around the home together. I'm gonna be the, I'll be your hype girl. (laughs) We're old. For for all days. Till the bitter end. She's gonna run around naked and she has to do it inside. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, yeah. Uh, Well, you know, as the saying goes, if it seems Seems too too good to to be true, true, it it is. is. And if you wanna find us on socials, God love
0: you. (laughs) If if you're still listening to us after this train wreck.
1: (laughs) We're on Facebook at Too Good To Be True Podcast. Instagram and TikTok, Too Good To Be True Pod. If you want to send us an email and tell us we're idiots who can't pronounce larceny. (laughs) Or, in my case, apparently figure out the difference between defendant and plaintiff. (laughs) You know too good to be true pod at outlook.com it's hard. <laughs> words are hard uh we'll be back next week words are hard thoughts are hard at this point everything is everything everything is sucks um we'll be back next week and we'll be back on our game we won't be dying of the plague and i will not i'll have been moved she'll and she'll be moved and life will be sorted out we promise thanks bye bye <laughs>